Stories of Being is a series of conversations with a range of inspiring humans whose approaches to life each offer an important piece of the puzzle for how we go about creating the fairer, more balanced, connected and beautiful world we long for. Each conversation explores a new perspective on how we view success, connection, power and progress and offers inspiration and guidance as we collectively transition to more harmonious ways of being with ourselves, each other, and our shared home. In today's episode, I talk to Jess Neal. Jess is a personal trainer whose philosophy is all about working in sync with your cycle. In this conversation, we talk about the hormonal and energy fluctuations women may experience through the month um, and ways to work with this rather than against it and you know constantly fighting it um, in order to reduce basically the shittiness and fatigue that can may, not always, that may come with having a period. We talk about diet and exercise um, and how that can impact how you feel, but also touch on other, other aspects such as you know the content we consume where we're putting our energy what do we commit to and how all of these decisions um, influence our overall well-being i found it to be a really empowering conversation and i think broadly it's kind of just about understanding our bodies knowing our bodies and working with our bodies to just feel the best i guess mentally and physically that we can um, this was actually the first podcast I recorded, but the second last one that I'm releasing, so my schedule has not gone to plan. Uh, so it's maybe a bit iffy from my side, uh, but Jess is awesome. Yeah, I just really love her approach and I really hope you get something out of it. what you do with like yeah the training with your cycle and living with your cycle and all of that stuff is so important and something that people don't necessarily even think to think about if that makes sense it's it's one of those topics that it's almost like it's been taboo for a long time you know don't talk about your periods don't show tampons when you walk into the bathroom like it's just like it's meant to be a non-existent thing but it's like you know, 50% of the population have a period for like 45 years of their life or like 35 years of their life. You know, it's, it's, it's a long time. <laughs> it, it can affect you or one so much, but then when you actually realize there are these different stages or whatever, and you understand that it's not as of a, um, as big of a like toll, if that makes sense. And you can sort of work with it rather than trying to fight it constantly. It takes away, it's almost like we're gaslit, you know. It's like we're told if you have a tampon, you're fine. You can just continue with life because there's no blood coming out. But, like, the bleeding for most people is so such a small part of what goes on every time they have a period. <laughs> like, it's that whole monthly cycle. It, you know, it can be a really big deal for some people and the bleeding is just such a such a non-issue for a lot of us. It's, you and know, it's Exactly. And it's actually like the time leading up to it that's the most challenging, whatever it is, you know, the most challenging. But there's just, yeah, there's no conversation or awareness around what is actually happening, why it's happening, and then what you can actually do to help manage it or balance it, like balancing your hormones. 
I think a lot of that stems from the fact that in, you know, even in the medical field and definitely in the fitness world, women have been seen as small men for a very long time. And so, you know, men are a lot easier to study than women because they're, you know, their cycles of hormones and just their, everything is very predictable and there's not a lot of variation. So they're really easy to study uh, and get results from. Whereas the amount of variables that come with having a menstrual cycle, um, you know, it makes it really hard to study. And even that, I think in itself, like the fact that women are more like cyclical rather than waking up and every day sort of their bodies almost or their hormones I guess are functioning in the same way women are so much more cyclical and I think even knowing that is like powerful and helpful it takes away it just takes away those feelings of am I crazy like you know am I crazy for feeling this way when some people just seem to push through everything and be fine all the time but I think most of us actually aren't fine all the time it's just not spoken about how did you end up I guess like in this space yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely just the fact that, you know, it started out as me, you know, becoming a personal trainer and being a mum. A lot of my clientele were mums and women. Um, and then, you know, it's just over the course of the, you know, eight, eight years, eight years that I've been doing personal training and mostly working with women during that time, you just notice patterns. Like there are just, I, you know, I can actually tell you know, when I've been working with a client for long enough, I can just tell when she's on her period. I'm like, ah, we're having a period week. And she's like, how do you know? And it's like, it's just, it's just something that, you know, I I've learned that women really do need adjustments in their training. And yeah, that's kind of how it started. Just me noticing that I was having to adjust my clients programs, you know, based on kind of where they are in their cycle. And it doesn't mean it's programmed automatically, it's just like on the day I'm like, you know, if they're like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of the week before my period, I'm feeling really low energy. You know, I have enough experience. I can just change it up on the fly. But I think for a lot of people who would say doing their own programming or following a program, that's just, you know, it's designed for men and it's just, it's linear progression where you're meant to go for, you know, eight to 12 weeks with almost no break in between. And it just doesn't work that way for women. You know, we kind of feel like we go three steps forward, two steps back every month. And what was what was the reaction, I guess, that you had from women or like your clients when you started working with them and kind of their bodies? You know, I think people, a lot of people's views on personal trainers is the whole drop and give me 20 push-ups, you know, that kind of thing, like go, go, go. And, and you know, I definitely don't work that way. And to be honest, a lot of personal trainers don't work that way. Um, but there is a real stigma around personal training. And I think that even just the fact that, um, you know, yeah, adjusting a program, people are like, oh, okay, so I can actually come into the gym still when I'm on my period. I don't have to completely not train. I don't have to give up my session. I just need to modify it to match my energy levels on that day. And that's, you know, that's crux. That's all that cycle syncing and, you know, training for your cycle is about. Like it's just, it's about matching what what's happening on the inside with what you're doing on the outside. Yeah. If you view it or you approach exercise and I guess health more broadly, which I guess we can talk about later, but if, if you approach it with from like the cycle syncing um point of view you're more likely to be consistent like I'm just thinking about myself I 
with my cycle, there'd be a period where I'd have heaps of energy and I'd go and I'd be super active and la la. And then obviously I'd get the energy dip. So then I'd do nothing. So I felt like, oh, I haven't followed through. Whereas if you're actually working with your cycle and you understand those energy highs and lows, you're more likely to follow through and be consistent with the exercise or workout plan or whatever it is that you have. And that's like, that's exactly it. It's, you know, it's that, especially the week or week and a half or two weeks after our period, depending how long your cycle is and how long, you know, how long until you ovulate. But there is that one and a half to two week period right after our period where we can do five, six sessions a week and feel fine. And we should do that. We should utilize that energy while we have it because, you know, our hormones are working for us to help us build muscle. We've got more testosterone. We've got more estrogen. Not only that, but it's a time of the month when we feel more articulate and we feel more attractive. So we're going to be wanting to be out and about and socializing and being in group sessions and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it goes with this cycle and that time of the month, people can often, you know, they can eat their three meals a day, just veggies and you know, chicken breast and they actually feel okay on that kind of diet and you can get through it. And then people just, they seem to hit this wall. And what's actually happening is that they're flipping over into their luteal phase where their hormones have changed and it's the second half of their cycle now. And suddenly they feel more hungry. They're more tired. Their energy levels are lower. They're not feeling as sociable. You're also feeling maybe a little bit bloated, not feeling as, you know, good in your gym clothes. All that's happening is that you're now in luteal phase. So what you now should be doing is switching up your gym sessions for a yoga session or a walk or, you know, something a little bit more gentle and restorative. So it's not about not training. It's about the type of training that you're doing and understanding that that time of the month, it's normal for those things to be happening and you should eat eat a little bit more and, you know, move a little bit less in terms of the intensity that you're, you're doing and that, you know, knowing that I think can be quite empowering for a lot of women, knowing that, you know, you're not mad and that it's actually okay to back off a little bit in the second half of the month. So do you mind just, I know, sorry, you just touched on it then. Do you mind going through the four different stages and kind of what they entail, I guess? Definitely. So the first part of the menstrual cycle is the menstruation phase. Um, So that's when you're bleeding actively. Um, Essentially, we say it's sort of when you need a tampon. So yeah, so menstrual phase, during this time, hormones are relatively flatlined. So hormones have really dropped for for menstruation. And so if your hormones are nice and balanced and doing what they should be doing, energy shouldn't really be high. It shouldn't really be low. It should just be kind of normal level. Technically, menstruation is also part of follicular phase but so you know you can kind of push hard if you have the energy during menstruation to go and exercise if you have a nice light period and you don't get a lot of symptoms you can absolutely train as though you're in the next phase but you know my experience working with women most of us don't really feel like doing much especially the first couple of days of the period you know when you might be getting cramping or sore lower back and just feeling a bit more sort of flatlined in terms of energy So then we have the follicular phase, um, which is kind of last day of period up until ovulation. And follicular phase is where our estrogen and our testosterone start to rise. So those are the two sort of happy hormones in terms of the cycle. Um, You know, they help us build muscle. They give us lots of energy. Estrogen actually makes your face shape change, makes you look more attractive. Um, You don't bloat as much. So that's why, you know, if you, you always be out in your gym gear, feeling really slim in tone and that's usually during your follicular phase and that's estrogen 
Um, so that's, you know, yeah, that's, um, that's the best time to be sort of pushing yourself in terms of your, you know, training volume and, you know, how many sessions you're doing every week and how hard you're pushing. This is the time to kind of go for it. Um, and it's the time when you feel like going for it too. So it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And then the third phase is ovulation. So ovulation can be tricky for some people to track because it's not always at the same time every month, especially if you have hormone imbalance. Um, and we're talking specifically women who are not on any hormonal birth control because, Generally, the pill will stop ovulation altogether, um, and that's how it stops you from getting pregnant. Uh, so speaking about naturally cycling women, ovulation phase is where you're going to probably feel the most sociable, the most attractive, the most energy. It's where sort of estrogen and testosterone peak, and then you'll have your you'll ovulate, and then all your hormones take a big drop all of a sudden. So um, some people right after ovulation get a little bit of a dip in energy, um, but it comes back up pretty quickly. It's only for like a day or two after ovulation, if you do feel it at all. Then after ovulation is the luteal phase. And it's actually the longest phase in the cycle. And it's the one where most of us tend to feel crappy. In luteal phase, estrogen does come back up again after ovulation, but progesterone rises to its highest during this phase of the cycle. And progesterone's job, it literally is put there so that you eat more and you move less. Yeah, its job is to make you feel more hungry because what's happening is that your body's assuming that you'll get pregnant when you ovulate. It's like, okay, now we're getting ready for this egg to implant in the uterus. So we're building the uterine lining. We're getting you to eat some more because babies are energetically expensive to carry. We're going to get you to move less because we don't want to waste energy on unnecessary movement. So all of these things are literally happening because of progesterone. You know, there's other little hormones in there too, but the main player is progesterone in the luteal phase. And then, yeah, once your body realizes you're no longer pregnant, you're not pregnant, then it all of those hormones drop and you menstruate and then it all starts again. And if we just almost listen to our body, we would actually probably be at our most optimum in terms of health and energy and things. It's just that we don't listen to it. So that's when we get probably even more fatigued and things like that. Absolutely. Uh, there's There are a lot of gynecologists now calling the menstrual cycle the sixth vital sign you know, because it's, it's such an important part of our, you know, just our body as a, as a, you know, women in the, in their reproductive years. And we just don't listen to it, you know, and sadly a lot of, you know, when we go, like I personally, I went to the gynecologist just months ago because I still get hormonal acne breakouts, which I'm actively working on. They've gotten a lot better since I started cycle thinking for sure but they still happen. So I was like, oh, you know, I went to my gyno and I was like, hey, I'd really like to get like a hormone test just to see what's happening at the time of the month when I get breakouts. Do I have too much estrogen? Do I have not enough progesterone? What's happening? And she kind of looked at me and she went, well, look, we can do the test, but all that's going to happen if we do find a hormone imbalance is that will put you on the pill. <laughs> I was like, you know, it's just, it's kind of the default response from doctors for women who have hormonal issues. And so then we have to, you know, resort to going to, holistic naturopaths and nutritionists and people who don't necessarily have a medical degree to look after this most precious part of our body you know why do you think it's not um explored and there's just this one sort of default go on the pill like is it just because there's no interest in it or education or yeah do you kind of have any thoughts on why that is I, I think I think there's no not enough interest in it, right? So I said earlier that you know women were seen as small men for a very long time, 
And, you know, I know that there's a guy who's called the father of gynecology um, and he's sort of, you know, he's the one responsible for the creation of the speculum and like cervical, um, cervical biopsies and things like that all of which he did experimenting on black slave women without any anesthesia. So that's where a lot of our, you know, healthcare as women comes from, things like that. And, you know, since then it hasn't changed very much. You know, they still don't give us painkillers for cervical biopsies where they literally stick something up there and take a chunk out of your cervix. They don't give us painkillers for pap smears. They don't give us painkillers for IUD insertions because there's just this view that, you know, we don't, feel pain the way men do and and I think that you know there's that there's just not enough talk about it to make it something that they study you know with with men you imagine if men had to have something shoved up there (laughs) hoo-ha without any painkillers there would be you know very quickly there would be sedation offered and things like that that point about women just being perceived as small men it's I think it's like because so many, say, gynecologists or whatever they are, I don't know what the percentages are, but a lot of the time they're male. So there's no understanding of what it means to be a woman in that sense. So there's no exploration, like you just said. Exactly. I um, I actually read an article many years ago that talked about, you know, Viagra, which was originally created as heart medication and then was discovered to help, you know, men get erections. However, it was also discovered to significantly reduce severe menstrual cramping. Which route did they go down to market it? You know, it's because, yeah, it's, it's always leaned that way. And it's another reason why, you know, in terms of my industry, you know, I... I get a lot of kind of not necessarily haters, but people just coming and going, well, where is your evidence that cycles thinking works? And I say, well, where's the evidence that it doesn't work? There is none because there's been no studies done on it. The only evidence, you know, that you can't say something doesn't work if there's it's, if it's never been studied. And the only times things in the fitness industry get studied is if there is enough mainstream interest in it. Like keto diet came out and was hugely popular for a decade before it got studied properly. Um, You know, so, but it worked for a lot of people. It's just, it's one of those things where you can't just come along and say it doesn't work just because you can't find a study on it. You know, you have to have a study that says it doesn't work for you to say that it doesn't work. All we've got to go off is anecdotal evidence. And I can tell you pretty much every woman that I speak to, particularly ones who don't take the pill, can relate to the fact that they feel different at different times of the month. Two things. Number one, there's no studies on it because it's not seen as a priority, kind of because of what we just spoke about. Um, And also, yeah, this obsession with, like, studies and data and blah, blah, blah. Obviously, that is like super important and helpful, but also how someone feels and the anecdotal evidence is just as powerful, especially in this sort of situation, I think, where it is very individual and ebbs and flows and it is actually about feeling. That's actually what is powerful. Yeah. And, and you know, that's where I've used the, I use the word gaslighting a lot in this, you know, this industry because it's like, I feel, I feel so crappy the the week leading up to my period. Like my energy is very low. Like I just, 
you know, I don't get PMS like I used to, but like there's, there's definitely changes in my energy levels and my overall mood. And I don't really want to do much except for kind of watch a movie in the evening. Like I don't feel like being up and cooking. Like that's where we get more takeaway this time of the month. Like it's just, you know, those things, but for someone to then turn around and be like, no, no, go train hard. Like go do a hit class. You're absolutely fine. There's no evidence to show that you need to back off your training. And I'm like, is, is it really the right kind of thing to be saying to to people that feel that way like you know you then feel almost crapper for longer because like I said yeah you haven't listened to yourself and your body and for me like I remember for so long I exactly like you just said with the four stages it's like clockwork like oh my god I'm feeling so social and active and la 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 and then oh my god like I feel like crap I have no energy I don't want to see anyone and I actually always thought, like, what is wrong with me? Like, a week ago, I wanted to go out and whatever, and now I just want to be kind of at home or, you know, take it easy. And that actually was super disempowering, whereas knowing that it's because of these uh, phases and these hormones is so much more empowering because you can then sort of, I guess, like live your life in a way according to that or just with that in mind. A hundred percent. It's just, it gives you permission to, to rest. Like it gives you permission to do less, which I think, especially in this day and age as women, we we're work full time. We're mums. We often care for our partners, you know, in a lot of ways, like there's so much more that we're doing these days compared with say a 1950s housewife who was home all day. And that was her only job was to look after the kids in the house. We're doing all that plus working full-time jobs you know, and trying to maintain a social life and, you know, exercise. It's like, I think just taking off some of that expectation when we're not feeling our best, it, it, as you said, it's super empowering. It really does allow us to make better choices for ourselves and to feel better. And then with the, um, with the four stages, you kind of mentioned like different types of exercise to do within those different stages based on your hormones and kind of where you're at is there anything else in terms of like nutrition or rest or whatever it is within each stage that helps support I guess the hormones or or what's happening in those stages yeah definitely so but particularly important if you get PMS type symptoms to be conscious of your I guess you're eating in a lot of ways I'm a big fan of talking to people about what you can add to your diet or add to your regime rather than what you should take away or what you should avoid. Because I don't really think that we should avoid anything specific. I think that it's better to just add in what we can when we need it. So, you know, menstrual phase, um, you'll start at the beginning and work our way down menstrual phase. You're losing blood. Um, energy might be a little bit low. So this is where we want to prioritize iron rich foods um so you know your red meats your spinach um, broccoli those kinds of foods and in chinese medicine for the womb during menstruation they like warming foods so i mean there's i mean you can just google and there's heaps of articles online about what foods are warming and what foods are cooling but sort of warming foods i really like casseroles and bolognese and you know foods that have red meat in them but that are quite easy to digest and quite nourishing you can add lots of veggies to them that kind of stuff um but you know you you want to be sort of yeah it's all about supporting the womb during that time because it's shedding 
Um, follicular phase is the fun one for most people because, you know, we're always about trying to eat as healthy as possible and, you know, stick with our three meals a day and avoid snacking. And follicular phase is usually the time where most people feel like that's easy to do. You crave sugar less because you don't need that extra energy. You can kind of live off the rabbit food diet pretty comfortably and like feel good about it. And like, yeah, I'm, I'm nailing this. I'm nailing my diet. I haven't had any sugar cravings, like all that. But this is the time where estrogen in your body is rising and rising and rising. And our liver's job is to detox and flush estrogen. So we want to come out of follicular phase without a massive amount of excess estrogen in our system. And so we want to eat foods that support the liver during this time. So that's a lot of, you know, raw veggies and especially cruciferous veggies. So your cabbage, your kale, spinach, broccoli, um, those kinds of vegetables, um, yeah, our digestion tends to handle raw foods better at this time. You know, you know, and it works a little bit more um, well. <laughs> it works better. Um, so yeah, raw foods can be eaten a little bit more easily. Um, yeah, keep it lean and light and fresh in that phase. Ovulation's pretty much the same thing. Um, you could add even more raw veggies around that time just to really get rid of that like peak of estrogen. And then luteal phase is the one. You know, it's the unfortunately. It's the one where we feel the crappiest, but it's also the longest phase in the cycle. Um, if we are too low in progesterone or too high in estrogen, that's where we're going to feel PMS symptoms. So you're going to get the tender breasts, you're going to get the mood swings, the bloating, all of those things that all comes from the imbalance between progesterone and estrogen. So if you're not flushing estrogen correctly during after follicular phase, you'll have too much estrogen compared with progesterone and, you know, um, Conversely, if you're not producing enough progesterone, then your estrogen will be too high by comparison. Um, so you just want to be eating foods that are easy to digest and really nutritious, like full of nutrients. So your cooked veggies are going to be the best for you in this phase. Um, an interesting thing about progesterone is it makes us a little bit insulin resistant. Um, and insulin resistant, if anyone doesn't know, it's when we eat food, we get a rise in blood sugar and it's insulin's job to take that sugar out of our blood and place it into the cells so that they can use it for energy. And so what happens when you become insulin resistant is that the, the insulin doesn't work against the glucose. So your blood sugar is spiked, the insulin's released, but it can't do anything with the blood sugar. So your cells don't receive energy. And so your body signals to you that you're hungry again or that you need some sugar because you haven't had any energy put in, but your blood sugar is already high. So then you eat more and the blood sugar rises again, but the insulin still can't do anything. So it kind of goes on this vicious cycle. And that's why a lot of the time we get those sugar cravings in the luteal phase because we are a bit insulin resistant. Um, so it's a good idea to increase fats during the luteal phase. So eat more nuts and seeds and olive oil and avocado, almost like go Mediterranean style diet. Yeah. So reduce your carbohydrate intake a little bit, go for your, definitely your low GI carbs, like your sweet potato and your brown rice and things, but really try to increase your healthy fats during this phase. We also need about 300 more calories per day during this phase compared with the follicular phase, which is why we get that big boost in appetite all of a sudden, and we cannot live off the rabbit food diet anymore. <laughs> yeah. So it's a combination of things in that um, part of our cycle that make us crave all that chocolate and just get those ups and downs with the energy and the mood swings and blah, blah, blah. So 
Um, you know, eating more and eating more healthy fats. Um, so include like oily fish, things like that. Just, you know, I like, I like to sort of plug a Mediterranean diet during that time. Do drop. Um, also the number one, you know, prescription for insulin resistance. If people are pre-diabetic, for example, the doctors will say exercise because exercise will draw glucose out of your bloodstream to be used in your muscles. So this is why it's important to not, not exercise while you're in luteal phase, but to change up your exercise so that you're not overdoing it, but it's still important to move um, probably even more so during the luteal phase compared with the follicular phase, because it will help your body utilize the um, the blood glucose that's you know in your system and not make you so insulin resistant and that's why I really like strength training during the luteal phase so it's a low volume it's low volume training people think of strength training as like pushing yourself to the heaviest you can do but it's not it's it's the difference in volume so where you're trying to build muscle, you're doing lots of reps and lots of sets and lots of weight. Where you're trying to build strength, you're actually doing less reps and less sets. So overall less volume, but because you're only doing maybe four, five, six reps, generally you can lift more weight at those reps than you could for eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 reps. So you're lifting more weight, but for a lot less volume. You'll still feel like you've done something, but the sessions are quicker. They're not as taxing on the body. You're not pumping cortisol through your system. Like your nervous system gets a bit of a workout, but it's nothing nothing like doing a HIIT session or like doing high, high volume weight session. Um, so yeah, generally that's how I would adjust clients training during that time, you know, get them to eat a little bit more for that, especially the last week leading up to the period, um, eat more healthy fats and, you know, switch to lower reps, lower sets and just like they can. Yeah. And then this is, I guess, so I don't forget two questions, but, um, do you think, I think I remember seeing something like a video you made that said like PMS or bad PMS. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be the norm. Do you think people get bad PMS because they're not kind of eating how you just described based on their cycle? Like why do you think maybe people get more severe PMS than maybe is normal? Um, that's the first question. And then the second one, you mentioned cortisol before. Often my anxiety or my stress will be the worst just before my period, I think. Um, and I'm wondering if that's has to do with hormones and then also if there's, I guess, things you can do in that time to sort of reduce that stress or anxiety that might come at that stage of someone's cycle. Yeah, definitely. So they kind of, they kind of intertwine the PMS and the cortisol um, you know, cortisol, it wreaks havoc on a woman's system. Like we're not, we're not small men, you know, men can handle a lot more cortisol in their system than we can. And it's because of the sort of delicate balance and cycles of hormones that we have. So as I said, PMS is definitely not normal. We literally shouldn't feel anything like definitely different, like energy levels, but we shouldn't be feeling breast tenderness, severe cramping, um, mood swings, like all that stuff is not normal. It's not actually something we're supposed to feel in the lead up to our period. We do feel it. It's common, but it's not normal. Um, and I think it all, it all does kind of intertwine with stress. And when I say stress, stress causes cortisol to be pumped through our system. When I say stress, we have to remember that stress is literally everything that we are doing in our life that withdraws from our energy bank account. So 
Stress is, you know, your kids crying all night, not sleeping. It's fights with your partner. It's stress at work. It's money stresses, but it's also the type of exercise you're doing, whether you're eating enough because under eating and a lot of women under eat, under eating is very stressful to your body. Not giving your body enough calories, enough nutrients is really stressful to your body. So your body, if you're not eating enough, as I talked about the blood glucose, your body needs energy. And if you're not eating enough to provide a constant stream of glucose into your blood for your for your cells to use as energy, your body's pumping cortisol in your system because cortisol will force your liver to convert um, proteins and fats into um, glucose to be used as energy. So under eating is really stressful for your body. And when you under eat, you, your intestines don't work properly. They're a smooth muscle. So if they're not getting exercise, they become weak and they don't work as well. So, you know, then you're not absorbing nutrients the way you should be, even when you are eating, because they're just not getting worked enough to actually break down the foods properly and absorb the nutrients from it. So like, there are so many things that cause stress to our body and some of them we can't control but there are some that we absolutely can control. And I think that that's where people need to understand the importance of knowing what is causing stress to your body and controlling what you can control to reduce stress to your body. You can't control your kids. You can't control your partner. You can't always control your job. You know, money stresses happen, but the things you can control is making sure that you're eating well and eating enough, making sure that you're not adding stress to your life through exercise if it's not the right time for it. Um, yeah, making sure you sleep well, if you have the ability to do that, you know, don't sit up scrolling on your phone before bed, um, you know, stop consuming crap on social media that makes you feel shitty. Stop watching the news. If it makes you feel crappy and you're just constantly watching stories of people drowning or like wars overseas can be important to know, but stop consuming. it if it's adding stress to your life, you know, there are, there is lots that we can control and a lot of that wreaks havoc on our system as women it is the cortisol and cortisol has been directly linked in men and women there are lots of studies on that has been directly linked with visceral fat storage so increased visceral fat storage but especially for women so that's that deep intra-abdominal fat that coats our organs and our our arteries and you can be very slim and have a very low level of body fat and still have very high levels of visceral fat. And that's all down to the types of foods that you're eating and the stress that you're putting your body through. What you just spoke about is like in terms of stress and where stress comes from is like this really looking at health and fitness and I guess, you know, your cycle in a way as like a 360 thing rather than just oh, it's what I eat or it's how I exercise or whatever. It's like literally everything we do and surround ourselves with can have an impact on sort of our health and well-being. So it's like really looking at all facets of your life to then try and, and obviously there's things you can't control and we live in a particular world and whatever, but just being more conscious of like how all of these things impact us rather than just what you exercise and how you how you eat you know food and exercise are two of the things that are easiest to control you know so but the thing is people really like to exercise hard people and people like to you know especially women they like to under eat because it's what we're kind of we're taught to be small and and skinny you know from day dot you know I grew up with articles in 
Cosmo magazine, it was like, look at her beach body, how gross she looks. And it was always like looking at it now, it'd just be women that have had a couple of kids and just enjoying life on the beach, like the way that I look or the way that, you know, my auntie looks. It's like it's just we grow up being, you know, just fed that kind of stuff. And food and exercise are really easy for us to control. But there are other things that I think people forget about that they can also control, like what you're consuming on social media, like the fact that you shouldn't be watching telly or scrolling on your phone until the early hours of, until the late hours of the night. Like, um, you know, and people forget, like having a day off, if you want to relax, relax properly. Sitting and watching TV is not relaxing for your brain. Scrolling on your phone is not relaxing for your brain. Your body is at rest, but your brain is not. And all of our hormones and our stress, and it it all starts here. Your brain is what triggers hormones to be produced, right? So if your brain thinks that your body is underfed, it produces cortisol. If your brain watches something stressful on the news it produces cortisol like you literally continuously puts you into this state of fight and flight which is great if you're trying to outrun a bull in a field that's about to gore you but when you're sitting and watching the news do you really need to be in fight and flight mode (laughs) our bodies i don't know if this is true but like because the like news cycle is 24 7 and you know you can constantly be consuming content we're probably, or a lot of the time, massive generalisation, but still, you know, a lot of the time just living in flight or fight because we're just always surrounded by information and bad things or whatever. Yeah, 100%. Like even just, you know, my, my, a lot of my For You page on TikTok is um, women's issues, feminists talking about women's issues and and it's, you know, it's such an important thing to know about but also like, seeing them respond to these com- like these heinous comments that men write on their on their pages and it's just like oh it's just it's just a stressful thing to consume you know and so I you know I I try to avoid it where I can but sometimes it's unavoidable and that's you know that's the danger of just sitting and scrolling social media it's so easy to just you know I, I remember something popped up on my for you page it was just a story this guy was telling about a woman in the eighties at a beach in South Australia, who got eaten by a great white shark. And he went into this massive detail about how it all happened. And it was in front of her kids. And that night I had nightmares about shark attacks and I didn't get, I had almost no sleep that night. And like, you know, that one little, it was like a 90 second clip, but it ruined my whole night of sleep. I still think about it weeks later that, you know, how horrible that must be for her kids. So it's just, you know, you have to remember that it all, it all kind of sits in there and every time I think about it, I can feel that my heart rate goes up a little bit. And I just, all I do is put myself in my kids' shoes and go, oh my God, it must have been so horrible if they saw their mum, you know, like, and it's just, I'm, you're instantly in fight or flight just from that 90 second clip, you know, it's just one of the best skills I learned was something called mindfulness practice. And, you know, it basically, it's a practice that gets you to, it's, it's a form of meditation, but it gets you to actively, you know, anchor yourself using your breath back into your own body if you're having these you know intrusive thoughts or thoughts about something negative and just to kind of learn to view your thoughts and things that are happening as like leaves floating by on a stream or clouds floating by in the sky so you're not actually in you know you're not those feelings you are feeling those feelings but you are not those feelings and they pass by and I think that's, you know, that kind of thing is a really important skill to have so that when you are having those moments, you can just stop and breathe yourself out of those feelings a little bit. 
we're just bombarded with all of these positive and negative things that we probably just take on and carry. There are certain topics that I think it's important for everyone to understand where their limits are. You know, I have I have certain topics that I will just not I will not hear anything about like human trafficking, child trafficking, that kind of stuff. Like I just cannot consume because it eats me alive. And I know that about myself and I would just not ever stop thinking about those stories. And it's probably because I have kids and I just my kids in those kids' shoes or myself in those parents' shoes and just think, oh, my God, you know, how, how do they ever survive that? Like, you know, just that kind of thing. So I just just knowing, you know, enough about yourself to pull yourself away from things that you, you shouldn't be listening to. But a lot of people don't even have those skills, you know, and I think it's just this culmination of stress and poor diet and poor sleep and the wrong kind of exercise at the wrong time it really compounds into these just pms symptoms and for some people the pms is only minor for others it you know it's debilitating they get pmdd they're not themselves for half of every single month like it's you know it, it, it's a whole it's like half of your reproductive years <laughs> living in a miserable state you know and so what would be your, I guess, advice or for someone who wants to, who has no idea about their cycle or living with it or exercising with it or, you know, just being aware of it, where do you think like the first place to start is for someone who's wanting to be a bit more in sync or have more awareness about, yeah, their body and, and their cycle? Yeah, definitely tracking your cycle. So there's heaps of apps. One of my favorites is called MyFlow, um, Flow app, F-L-O. Um, it's, it was created by a woman called Elisa Vitti, and she's probably she's one of the first women who ever wrote about um, cycle syncing. I think she's actually um, trademarked the term cycle syncing. She was like the first one to ever sort of talk about it. So her app is amazing. It's the one that I use. It's free and it gives you lots of little tidbits based on where you are, like what kind of exercise you should be doing, what kind of food you should be eating. She's a nutritionist and she's a biologist. So she's got a lot of good information on there. She's written a couple of books as well, but I would definitely start with tracking your cycle you know, just a, just a small anecdotal example. I thought, you know, I went to see a nutritionist because of my acne problems and, and she was like, oh, so your periods. I was like, no, they're super irregular. I never know when they're coming. Like they're all over the shop. And so she got me to start tracking my period. This was like four or five years ago. I started tracking and realized they come every 28 days on the dot. I was just looking at the dates on the calendar rather than every sort of week ahead. Like it was just little things like that. Like I'm like, oh, actually my cycle's super regular. So that's not one of my issues, you know? So I think getting an understanding of what's happening in your cycle will just give you clues as to what's going on. The apps, you know, you could even just keep a diary, you know, mood, energy levels, like did you do training? What kind of foods did you feel like you ate? You know, did you, were you able to stick to your, you know, healthy diet or did you feel like you went off the rails and binged on sugar? And you'll start to see patterns that you'll be like, oh my God, I had the biggest sugar binge, really tired today, blah, blah, blah. And then period. And you're like, oh, okay. So it's always right before my period, you know. Um, I think that's definitely the most empowering thing you can do is just track, track your cycle. I have a couple of clients who actually track their ovulation. There's one app called Natural Cycles. Um, it's a Swedish um, company. And they're actually the first company to ever be FDA approved as a form of birth control. So you can purchase a ring. It's about $250. And you wear this ring and it basically just Bluetooths your temperature to the app every single minute of every single day. So it can tell you when you're about to ovulate. So you just avoid sex. 
And yeah, so, you know, and one of my, a couple of my clients have been using it quite successfully, obviously like with everything, you know, there's room for error and, you know, different things in your life, you know, stress and whatnot can make you ovulate at different times. But in general, if you're going to ovulate, your body gives you signs and, and signals that you're about to ovulate. So even if it doesn't happen at the same time every month, you'll still know when it is about to happen. Yes. And I think like once you're, you've done it maybe for a few months, it all makes sense. Like I remember every time I got my period, I was like, oh, that's why I was doing X, Y, Z. And literally it was the same thing every single month, but I just didn't put it together, you know, took so long. To yeah, just, I, I, yeah. I was like, I must have done something in training, you know, my back's really sore and then period would come two days later. Oh, that's why. <laughs> And like you said, once you have that information, then that's that's the starting point to then changing your training and diet and, you know, adding in all of the extra, yeah, bits and pieces. 100%, yeah. I have a girlfriend who's she's, she's in the dating scene. She's on a lot of dating apps at the moment. And every time she gets close to her period, she'll delete them all. I'm sick of men, screw them all, not doing this anymore. And then as soon as she's done with her period, she's back on there. It's really fun to watch. <laughs> she, she really does. <laughs> yeah, I keep saying the word and it's a bit of a cliched word, but it's so empowering. And I think it's I think it's so cool that you're in this space and you're sharing this and you're helping people just... Yeah, like almost start to like and love their period and cycle, you know, which traditionally it's been the complete opposite. So it's a really amazing thing that you're doing and, yeah, what you're offering. Thank you. I really appreciate that. You know, it's just it's nice that I can, you know, with social media, we can bring it to so many more people now. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a big wide world out there. So it's just about starting to spread the word and, you know, it's, it is starting to pop up a lot more on the social feeds. I'm seeing, I'm seeing more and more people talk about it and talk about cycle syncing. And you're always going to have the people that insist that it, you know, you don't have to do it because there's no evidence to show that it works. But when you can show me the evidence that it doesn't work, then I'll listen to you. You know what I mean? But until then I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And I think that, you know, most of the people who do, live and train in sync with their cycle really feel the difference and you know really positively impacts lives 